You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading tonight is from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we are thankful for your word, and so we do pray now that you would transform us. Here is our heart, Lord. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. We pray all these things for our own joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good to see you all this evening. If I haven't met you, my name is Nathan, and I would love to meet you after the service. Come say hi. I'd love to get to know you and meet you for coffee or lunch or sometime in the next month or so. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we began a four-week walk through the short book of Ruth last week. We have a lot to get to tonight and a lot to do after this sermon. Uh, This is going to be a little bit shorter uh, than a normal sermon, but let's just get right into it. Last week, in chapter one, we saw a man and his wife and their two sons leave the promised land of God's presence. They left because of famine, but they shouldn't have left. They shouldn't have left the place of God's presence. Instead, they left to live in Moab, the land of one of Israel's oldest enemies. While there, the husband died, and the two sons then married Moabite wives. Eventually, both of those sons died, leaving the mother Naomi as a vulnerable widow with her now two Moabite daughters-in-law. When they hear that the famine is over in Israel, Naomi convinces one of the widowed daughters-in-law to to stay, to go back to to Moab, seemingly because like to stay attached to Naomi is to stay attached to doom, to destitution. But this other daughter-in-law, Ruth, she commits herself to Naomi to return with her to her home in Bethlehem. But she's not only committing herself to Naomi out of like familial care for her mother-in-law, but her language seems to indicate, we saw last week, that she is committing herself to Naomi because she has first committed herself to Naomi's God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. Ruth the Moabite has been converted. So despite the faithlessness of Naomi, despite her self-centered complaints, despite her accusations against God. God is faithful to Naomi by giving her the devoted and faithful Ruth in her life. So they find themselves back now in Bethlehem, back in a place of vulnerability. Who will provide for, who will protect these two widows? We're going to see the narrative of chapter two trace over just two main headings tonight in thinking about the kindness of the Redeemer and then the response of the redeemed the kindness of the Redeemer and the response of the redeemed. Let's just get into it. In verse one, we read, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This little throwaway statement is important because one, we find out that Boaz is a worthy man. It's almost like the narrator is saying, like, keep your eye on this guy. But also that we find out, now meeting Boaz for the first time, that he is a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. Now it will become more clear why that's important, but then it just goes straight into verse 2. That was just a throwaway. We read in verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now again, Ruth is identified by the narrator as a Moabite. Like, yes, we get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. Over and over and over, she's called the Moabite. She is an outsider. But yet she is telling Naomi that she's going to go to work to try to find them some food. Now, what does Naomi do? Ruth says, I'm going to go find us some food. And what does Naomi do? 
Not a, oh my goodness, what an amazing offer, sweetie. Let me join you and we can go work together. Not even a, hey, here's where you should go find the food. Uh, I've got, we've got some family out there. There's a guy named Boaz, he owns a field. Maybe go try to find some work and some food in his place. None of that. She just says, go, my daughter. Undoubtedly, Naomi is still struggling and sad. She would likely pretty easily get a diagnosis of depression if she were to see a modern-day doctor. And again, all understandably so. She's lost so much over the past decade. But again, she is shown to be the faithless one. She thinks of herself as the empty one, the victim of God's arbitrary anger who has literally taken everything from her. Ruth also, though, is empty. Literally, we'll see in just a minute. By her hunger, her stomach is empty. And even more so than Naomi, she has no cultural or social connections. None. If Naomi is empty, Ruth is emptier. But what does Ruth do? What does she do? She goes out to work. Naomi, even if she's like clinically depressed or something, she stays home and maybe watches The Price is Right and Days of Our Lives all day long, and she just waits for the the fortunes of the universe to begin to change and provide for her. Maybe today will be the day where things get better. Ruth goes out, as we'll see, and puts herself in danger. She trusts that God will change her circumstances. How? Through her effort, through her hard work. Faith is not sitting back with our feet up, waiting for God to show up. Faith drives us into situations where we must trust God. Ruth apparently, knowing that the laws of Israel, which require landowners and the workers to leave behind the crops that they miss on their first pass, she goes out to work. She trusts in the Lord to provide. These laws are required to allow the poor, primarily the fatherless, primarily the sojourner, meaning someone who is an an outsider, a non-Israelite immigrant, and a widow to come behind those harvesting and to pick up the things that are left behind, the grain that is left on a sheaf or the grain that is fallen to the ground. These people, these gleaners, are allowed to walk behind and pick up whatever is left. These laws aren't necessarily to allow the poor to work their way up the social ladder, but it is just a way to ensure their survival which is certainly way more than any other ancient Near Eastern culture would have done for their poor. This is like someone who might like walk around all day looking for aluminum cans or scrap metal to then sell to the metal yard, not waiting on a handout, but working hard to survive the day. And so Ruth knows about these laws that God has given, and she trusts God to provide through her hard work. So verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to come, literally says, as chance chanced. Or as we might say, as luck would have it. It's like the narrator is going over the top to kind of wink at you as you read, as chance chanced. This is Boaz's field. It is part of her family, Naomi's family. The Lord is at work here. But because Naomi wasn't helpful at all back at home, Ruth could have gone to any field in Bethlehem. But here she goes to Boaz's field. And then, verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Behold is almost like, 
Uh, and wouldn't you know it, who might have shown up? Boaz, the guy that we've already introduced as a worthy man. And Boaz sees a field full of reapers, and he greets them all with a blessing of God. The Lord be with you. And when he is looking out on everyone, he sees a woman that he has never seen before. And notice what he asks in verse 5. He says, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? He doesn't say, Hey, who's that? Or who's that woman? But he puts it in a possessive. Whose young woman is this? Who is her father? Or who is her husband? In these days, to be detached from family is to be, de- de- be detached from an identity. We don't think like this. We are individuals. And Westerners, we often want to get out of the shadow of our family, to remove ourselves and to go out and make a name for ourselves. Here, though, in this culture, Ruth, being detached from family, being detached from an identity, is in an extremely vulnerable, in an extremely dangerous and unsafe place. She is a nobody. There is no one In the field, there is no one in Bethlehem besides her mother-in-law watching Days of Our Lives back at home who would vouch for her. There is no one in this field who will protect her. And so the foreman replies, as one commentator paraphrases of verses 6 and 7, Oh, she's that foreigner who came back from Moab with Naomi. You know the one. She's an outsider. She doesn't really belong anywhere. But I can tell you, she's worked like a dog in this hot sun all day. He's noticed. She's been working hard. And so Boaz approaches her with likely the very first kind thing, the very first reassuring words that Ruth has maybe heard in years, likely in her time in Bethlehem. And Boaz comes to Ruth in verse 8, and he says, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is over the top. He recognizes that since there is no one to vouch for Ruth, he will. He does not trust the young men of the area, especially as we considered last last week. This is in the day of the judges when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. So he says, stay here in my fields. Gather for yourself here where you will be safe. Do not go elsewhere where you will not be safe. Here you will be safe. And more than that, into verse 9, when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. We know from places like John 4, with the Samaritan woman at the well, that women are to draw their own water. They are to draw to serve the men. And outsider women were certainly in a place of both social Uh, being a social outsider and for sure having to draw for themselves. Boaz says, my workers, my men will draw and serve for you. This goes well beyond what the law requires, but Boaz does not just begrudgingly follow the law because he has to. He understands the heart of the law. He understands the heart of God to provide for the vulnerable. The laws that Boaz lives into and goes above and beyond with reveal that it is God who is protecting. It is God who is providing for his people. In Deuteronomy 10, we read this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Deuteronomy, this is the time of the law when the laws for the gleaning and the poor and the vulnerable are being given. God is the great one, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Listen to this. He executes justice for the fatherless 
and the widow. God loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. It is God who is working through the law, giving, given to his people, who provides for his people. If the people would understand the heart of the law, would understand the heart of God. And Boaz understands that the law can best be summed up as loving God with his whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. That then plays out into loving his neighbor as himself. Perhaps he's imagining, what if I was in Moab? What if I was poor and unsafe and vulnerable? How would I want to be treated? And so he sees humans as humans. He sees them as image bearers of God who deserve dignity and honor. He sees the outsider. He serves the outsider. He goes above and beyond to protect and to provide. Which is then what he also does in verse 14, dropping down a bit in the narrative and following where he says, come here. He tells Ruth, he's come here. Eat some bread. Dip your morsel, your bread, into the wine. So Ruth sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she has some left over. Likely for the first time in a long time, she is satisfied and has some left over. Most of us eat until we are full at least three times a day with snacks in between. Most of us in this room do not get hungry. But Ruth, along with Naomi and millions of, millions of people alive right now today, are just used to constantly being hungry, of going to bed hungry. And for the first time in a long time, Ruth is satisfied. When Boaz is around, he is not only capable of providing for the needs of his workers, especially the needy and the vulnerable woman, Ruth, he is not only capable, but he is glad to provide. He is so glad to overwhelm with kindness and with grace. But as we briefly mentioned last week, this is actually a story about Jesus. As he said that the entire Old Testament is about him in Luke 24, then if that's true, then the point of this story is not necessarily to look to Boaz, but to look through, Bo through Boaz, to look, to look beyond him, to see the one who is not only capable of providing for the needs of his people, especially for the needy and the vulnerable, but who is also so glad to provide, so glad to overwhelm with kindness and with grace, not just to squeeze out just a couple of drops of grace that you might get a second chance, a second try on life with just a few drops of grace from a begrudging savior. Not just to survive the day and then try again on your own effort tomorrow to survive again and then to survive again, but to be loaded with kindness and with grace. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. This is Boaz in verse 16. He tells his workers to also pull out some from the bundles for her and to leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. He's just like leaving some extra for her. Now, it seems like if you know the end of the story, you're like, oh, Boaz seems to, he's noticed this young woman. Maybe he's got the hots for her. Uh, maybe. It seems at the end of chapter two, though, there is a long time. And Boaz has not actually moved toward her with like romantic interest. He seems to just care for her because he cares for her. Because she is a human being. She is vulnerable. And he cares for her with overwhelming kindness. When Ruth heads home for the day, she has a full belly and about 35 pounds of grain on her back. It's like a huge dog food bag, a giant dog food bag, like the biggest one at Costco that she walks home with. 
enough for Ruth and Naomi, this one day's worth of work, enough for Ruth and Naomi to eat for at least a week. And then we find out later that he says, or that Ruth has, that Boaz has told Ruth to keep working until the end of the harvest, which is at least seven more weeks. She is going to, assumingly, have enough food that she gathers every single day for about two-thirds of the year. They will not have to worry about an empty belly for the next eight months or so. And so it is with our Lord Jesus, who has his eye on those in spiritual need, those who have nothing to offer on their own, those who, like you and me, are actually more like Naomi than Ruth, but who, through Ruth, Boaz provides for her too. For you and me, as Kyle said last week, while we were still sinners, Naomi, watching days of our lives, waiting for the universe to turn, putting no effort, trusting not in the slightest promises of God, perhaps we see her turn a little bit at the end only when her circumstances has, have changed. While we were still sinners then, just waiting, not trusting in the promises of God, then Christ died for us. The righteous in the place of the unrighteous, the selfless in the place of the selfish, the sinless in the place of the sinful, This is when Christ has come to live and to die for those who were formerly against him. Boaz and Jesus step into people's lives and change them, reorient them. They step into the lives of the empty that they might be filled, overwhelmed with abundant life and with abundant joy, which is the response of those who have been saved, who have been redeemed by him, which is now our second point here. If we've seen the kindness of the Redeemer, now let's consider the response of the redeemed. First of all, what does the word redeemer or redeemed even mean? Like we see this all over the place on Instagram. You've got it on a painting on your wall. You've got it on a mug. What does it mean? A redeemer or a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer, was a close or the closest relative who was obligated to care for you if you found yourself in a place of debt. If you became poor and you had to sell your land, the nearest redeemer, your nearest brother-in-law, or then cousin, or second cousin, or, I don't know, uncle twice removed, is that even a thing? Just goes out in concentric circles outward. Then that person, if you found yourself in debt, or you had to sell your land, that person would buy that land back. If someone, because of debt, fell into slavery, the nearest redeemer would buy that person back out of slavery. And as we mentioned last week, and we'll see more in the next two weeks, the nearest redeemer was obligated to marry a widow in his family, to then protect her, to provide for her, to honor the family name. So it's in these first two situations that God can call himself the redeemer of Israel, that he purchases Israel out of debt. He purchases Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. And while Boaz is not a brother of Elimelech or his two sons, and while, as we'll see, there are nearer redeemers in Naomi's family, and nor is Boaz yet stepping into his role as a redeemer for Ruth or Naomi, yet this kindness, this care, this generosity, this grace of Boaz is the work is the attitude and the action of a redeemer. And it causes this initial response from Ruth. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, 
why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This response. This response ought to be the response of every Christian every day of our lives. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? We have nothing to offer. Nothing but our overwhelming need. Separated from God, worshiping our only ourselves, coming to God often like Naomi with a sense of entitlement or even a list of demands when unmet that then can just cause us to tailspin into doubt, into anxiety, into anger. But to quote again what I've often quoted from Colin Hansen, we are often so disappointed by God not giving us what he never promised us. Isn't that right? We are often so disappointed when God doesn't give us what he never promised us. When we realize that we are owed nothing, though, especially in our sin, in our selfishness, in our self-worship, that it is all grace. Today is grace. It is a gift from the Lord. Certainly, a Redeemer coming to us and providing is grace upon grace upon grace. And especially where we realize where this story is actually going, that it goes beyond chapter 2, that there is marriage coming. There is covenantal faithfulness. There is redemption. Not just a day or even like a seven-week provision, but a purchasing, a redemption to redeem or purchase those. As Paul says in Galatians 3, that those who are under the law, Jesus has come to redeem. Those who, like all of us, who keep trying and keep trying and keep trying to live our way into God's acceptance, perhaps trying and working and just trying to get Boaz to notice us because of our hard work, rather than because of God's faithfulness, then just working in joy, trusting in his promises to provide, or even working for the acceptance of what we think is good or acceptable. Working so hard today to improve or to attain the sense of my own self-worth, which is just exhausting vocationally, relationally, socially, socially, it's just exhausting, and we're never satisfied. And yet Jesus, the true and greater Boaz, looking not to Boaz, but through him, has come to redeem you out of all that you might be united to him, that you might live a newly set, in a newly settled place of security as a son or daughter of God. But mine is hope in my Redeemer. Though I fall, his love is sure. Now this is what the folks who are about to be baptized are saying is now true about themselves. That they have received the grace of Christ. They have been redeemed by him, purchased out of sin and slavery, and presented to God. His, his life and kindness in spite of their own selfishness, sin, and rebellion against God. And yet, in receiving, they have responded like Ruth. Why have I found favor? Who am I that you should notice me? And yet the answer that every Christian who has gone into the waters of baptism knows and believes, the answer is because of the favor that Jesus has given freely to us in his own life, death, and resurrection. The people that are about to go into these water, the waters, their lives are not perfect. No Christian's lives are perfect. Their lives, our lives, as Kyle even mentioned earlier tonight, we are awaiting the final marriage supper. 
Even in Ruth 2, it's not settled. It's going somewhere. The last verse of Ruth 2 is a reminder that this story is still going somewhere further. And she, Ruth, lived with her mother-in-law. She doesn't go and marry Boaz right away. All is not settled and right in her life. And so it is with us. Things are being provided for. Jesus, God, through the work of Christ, through the work of his spirit, has provided everything that we need for life and godliness, and yet we still wait. And yet, we wait, living and trusting in the kindness of the Lord, or even at the end of verse 12, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The people who are going into these waters, their faith is being protected, preserved like a mother bird. God the Father, through the work of Christ, empowered by his spirit, protecting and preserving his people, of their lives being transformed by him. If you're visiting with us today, we did really invite you to come back next Sunday to see where the kindness of this Redeemer is going. And if you have not experienced this kindness, we would ask you to consider the words and the testimonies of grace that the folks who are getting baptized might tell of you what they have experienced of the kindness and the grace of the Redeemer to the praise of his glorious grace. This is a good story. It's just getting going. We'll, have, we'll spend a little bit more time next week in Ruth 3 to dig more deeply as it gets a little spicy, but it gets good, and it is all about the grace and kindness of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness to faithless people. We are so weak. We want to believe. We pray that you would help our unbelief. We want to be people like Ruth. We want to be people like Boaz, and yet we are more often than we would like to admit people like Naomi. Lord, give us joy. Give us faith. Give us the faith to put ourselves in, position where, in positions where we need you to provide, where we need to trust in your promises, where it is you who is providing and uh, caring for your people through your people. It is you, Father, who are providing and caring for your people through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his life, for his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his reign and rule over the cosmos, over this church, over our small lives. And we thank you for his work to redeem a people, to save them, and to secure us for your glory forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.